Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, this is Dr. Drew, and you are listening to This Life with Bob Forrest and Dr. Drew. Here we are. Gentlemen, boys and girls, get the Galaxy phone out or the Android. I'm always Not prejudiced iPhone. to iPhones. No, okay, keep going. I'm an iPhone guy. Yeah, me too. And get ready for another episode of This Life with Dr. Drew and Bob Forrest. Yeah, I've got a lot to get into today, my friend. Uh, we haven't talked in a little while. The radical center. The radical center that Bob represents, the uh, extreme center. Extreme. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are going to speak to uh, Carla Spaulding, who's a Navy veteran, a registered nurse, which we love having a medical person in here so we can share you know, sort of our ideas about uh, how to solve some of the mental health and uh, substance problems in this country. Uh, this can't be true, Carla, but I'll ask you when I get you in here. She's a Republican from Florida who is currently running for Congress. I heard. Yeah, and uh, we should get behind her and... Uh, we're going to talk about – got so much to get into. But, Carla, let me first ask, what, what made you run for, uh, for uh, the Congress? Well, to be honest with you, I am actually a Navy veteran, and I was working at the VA hospital. And I got tired of seeing how our veterans were being treated. And I said, that's it. I'm going to run, and I'm going to make the laws and help change things. But as I started running, I recognized that the veterans were not only the issues – we also have opioids, we have mental health, we have, which is wonderful that I'm a nurse to be able to be an advocate in Congress for that. We have school issues, so there are just many other problems, and I thought this is where, once and for all, I belong to be able to make help make a better country and a better district. So, Carl, I have a million questions for you. First of all, good on you. I love these stories where people are just, this, this, is, what this, this is what this country is about, which is people yeah. sitting doing their job. I actually, I, I had, my, I was not a fan of, of what's her name from Alaska, the governor of Alaska, uh, uh, Palin. Palin. I was not a fan of hers, but I was a fan of her story that she was, you know, a hockey mom who just I don't run for governor. That good on her. Good on Carla. That's what this was supposed to be: the practice of democracy. We've lost it. We've lost the practice of democracy. Well, I was going to run twenty years ago, but then I I was divorced and I was a drug addict, so you couldn't <laughs> run then. But now I could run. Now I could. Well, why don't you get? Why don't <laughs> Bob, I'm behind you, man. Right, let's do it. Um, I, I have a, a ton of questions for you, Carla. Like, what what kind of nursing did you do? What, what's your? Did you have a specialization, or do you work in many different settings? Well, many settings. I've actually worked in mental health. I yeah. had the last three years of the VA. I worked had my own clinic, nursing clinic, so I was able to see just about. Uh oh, cut out. She froze at that end. I don't know if we lost her or not, but uh, she did freeze. There All right, she's back. Can you okay, hear me? She's you're back, back now. Yeah, you're yeah, back. Yeah. Keep going. Okay. So, uh, you, we, we, we were saying that actually. So you had to drop in the, ER. the nursing center Edwards. that you had. That's yeah. where it dropped out. Go ahead. Okay. Worked at the VA hospital the last three years. I actually ran a clinic of over 900 patients. I've worked with PTSD. I've worked with children with mental health from 6 to 18 years old for four years. I've worked in the ER. I've worked in... Same day surgery. All right, all right, great. I've 
ran a hospital. Uh, so. We get it. We get it. We, we know what that is. We know who you are. <laughs> we, we, Bob and I, uh, Bob, just you don't understand Bob and my history together. We um, ran a chemical dependency unit at a freestanding psychiatric hospital for about, together we did it for like 15 years? Uh, like like 10 years. 10 years. Um, wow. And we had a reputation for being able to deal with anything. When everyone else was done with them, the only thing we couldn't handle was a ventilator. Anything else we could handle. Uh, sure. Methadone, methadone, psychotic, detox. psychotic, med- medically uns- whatever we could handle it. Uh, no matter how polydiagnosed and, and unstable. And you would know if you worked in mental health when they finally were labeled bad patients that psychiatry didn't work for. We they got came them. to us. We got them. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we got that them. is true. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's <laughs> another thing that caught my eye that I want to ask about that I am in a total disbelief about, which is you are a single mom and a grandmother. How's that possible? Yes, sir. Well. You don't have to explain the biology. You don't explain the biology of that to me. After 21 years old, I stopped counting. Uh, Listen, I have to tell you, though, yes, it was a difficult time. I actually do have a master's in nursing of science with a concentration in education. Majority of it was actually spent in psych. Um, My children are in college. One is in college. One just finished college. And I have a grandson who is five. So it's been, I I was one of those single mothers who actually had two jobs, work full-time, and a soccer mother, and still made it through college. And I hear an accent, and it, it floats through a couple of different notions in my head of where the accent is from. Is, it, is there a, a British? It's a British. Is that Caribbean. it? Yeah, Caribbean. Caribbean. Yes. Well, actually, I'm from Jamaica. Okay. And well, British. I hear the Jamaican, but hang on now. I hear the Jamaican float in and out, but then I hear this sort of British accent yeah. come in there, too. What, what's Where's that come from? Uh, Chris yeah. Blackwell. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm upset, you hear the Jamaican side. <laughs> She's upset with you, Bob. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Were you trained in, in a British system or something? Is that where that came from? Well, I went to an all-girl Catholic school, and we were only allowed to speak the Queen English. Got it. Yeah, there there it is. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I hear it. I hear its influence. So, too. so something that I wanted to talk to you about. I read the email and I was excited to talk to you. So, initially, I started seeing in the VA around 2000 this overprescribing of opioids. It was actually the first system I saw the overprescribing what, ending the up about 2000, 2001, 2000. How about that? Let me because let me, let me because push what back. it was is there was Tricare for some yeah. reason. Returning veterans had Tricare, and they didn't up at Los Encinas. Let me push back on you and say the workers' comp in California is where it really went out of control fast. I wasn't I wasn't a signature needed to build the case, so I never dealt with workers' comp. You people. did, you just didn't know it. They'd come in all those chronic pain patients we had, all of them workers' comp. That's why they a could certain stay. doctors' patients. They were, but but they, getting to the point though, that's that was the. The beginning of when I saw this use of opioids just rampant, then it started in the regular population right. about three years later. That's right. Was that what you witnessed also, the overprescribing of opioids, like a floodgate? Well, I really started seeing it. Um, I started back in 2009 at the VA. Um, so it's it's been uh, really an issue because a lot of our veterans – do have chronic pains. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think in general, over lives in 2011, you really saw it expanded. Yeah. Um, I, I believe that now it's, it's 10 times worse. We're actually seeing it because 
awareness is is very difficult. I, I don't think we, we turn our heads. Uh, and I was telling someone just now, it's, I think it really starts with the family. And sometimes we turn our heads because we don't want to acknowledge that our children are not on the right path. And if we can at least address that and ask why, I, th- I think it makes a big difference. We well, can start well, off before I, it gets I, too, too I, late. You know, there's, I was just listening to a lecture this morning about the impact on adverse childhood experiences. And Bob, you and I know that if somebody had bad enough addiction to CS, they always had sexual abuse, physical abuse, neglect, or some, some major emotional But trauma. now this but, but adverse childhood is, is acting out in our culture constantly. Oh, yes, it is. That's the, that's that's the problem. I, that's I understand different. that. I, it, listen, it's the, it's the narcissistic term. I liked I it better it. when it was buttoned down when we were kids. Yeah, but, but, here's, but here's the deal. Is that that they've they in my sense of it? There, first of all, there's an acceptance now that every child experiences affects the trajectory of our mental health. Finally, and secondly, they've expanded what is an adverse child experience, including things like divorce. And so, I, I'm just glad to see that they're now connecting the dots. And you are right, Carla, that if you don't talk about the health of the family, you're you're not going to get at the one of the core phenomena here. Sure. Sure. And, and, and I can, you know, I remember when my daughter was growing up and she wanted to say, well, you know, she said she needs privacy. And I said, wait a minute, I'm the one paying the bills in this house. My door is not closed. So I took off her door for one year. She had no, no door for, to her bedroom. I have no, I said, There's I have no, no, privacy. I have no yeah. problem See, with that. See, that's, that's okay. <laughs> and that's okay in Florida. If you do that in California, CDFS will be at your door. Really? Yeah. Well, guess what? Then when they get in trouble, tell them to deal with them. Well, my well, kid is hey, going to do that. Hey, guess what? I want to see the uh, Spalding uh, legislation that's going to come out of Congress to correct all that. But, but yes, yeah, it, it's you know we all know what's going on here. Those that work in it, it getting the world to kind of come up, you know, to speed is what's the hard part. Uh, back to the VA, if you don't mind. I uh, had the chance to meet Dr. Shulkin, who's the present, currently the cabinet level. Uh, Maybe. You, you, you better it? check your Twitter well, that's, feed. <laughs> that's what I was going to ask you. I, I was very impressed with him. He was very thoughtful. He listened to me when I talked to him. He assimilated some of the things I was saying. He's an internist like me. He got, gets the nature of the problem, and we're about to lose him. Is, is, that, a, is that a good thing or a bad thing that he's going to be gone? Well, to be honest with you, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, the, the, the bottom line is where the real root cause of the problem is not so much at just at the top. They need to listen to the regular people, to the people who are cleaning the VA, the nurses, the doctors. We're the ones who actually know what's yeah. going on in the yeah, VA, right. but they don't, we don't have an option. So it comes straight from the top and they really don't know what's going on at the bottom. And in order for them to really fix the problems, they have to get our inputs, and our inputs are not being taken. That, so, that going uphill. Yeah, that information is, not going it. uphill. Well, that's, that is the nature of bureaucracy, unfortunately, is that bureaucracies are, are bad. <laughs> I'm going to use a pejorative. They, they don't work unless you, unless you flatten it and let the people in the field empower them. It's like, it's like we should be more like FedEx. In delivery of healthcare, really, but we've we've decided that that people in authority know better, and you have to superimpose all these systems on top. Do you agree with me, Carla? Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely from working there for six years, and I told you out of frustration of not 
seeing the things that I see, I could see and needed to change and nobody would change them. And I have to, I just believe our hardworking veterans who sacrifice their lives for us, I think they deserve much better treatment than we are actually receiving. And remember, I'm a veteran and I had a hard yeah, time there. I get so, it. And you know how to operate yeah, the system to. better than the average veteran too. So, yes. Because you're in it. So, so I'm going to challenge you both with something. So here's a February 22nd New England Journal of Medicine, everybody. Here it is. It's the 12-step thing. No. Well, you're going to love it. You're going to hate it, actually. So, so <laughs> Well, I love to hate. Right. That's what I meant. <laughs> And, and and so it, it is. So New England Journal for any of our listeners that don't know is sort of the the pinnacle of uh, the medical publications. It's because it's the highest esteemed, peer reviewed publication that there is. So one piece of good news: one of the editorials and the, and they always put a bunch of uh, what do they call it perspectives in the opening uh, chunk of the of the journal. One of the one of them I was delighted to see our other prescription problem, our other prescription drug. Oh, Benzos. Yep. Wow. Addressing it, addressing it, clearly addressing it well. So so it's beginning to leak into the discourse that benzos are equally as big a problem, if not more so, than the opiate thing. But here we go. So the But the lead article is controlling the swing of the opiate, right? What are we going to do with the opioid problem, right? Isn't that what this article is about? Well, Bob, you'll be delighted to suboxone. know. No, no, worse. Worse um, than suboxone. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There are now, There are too few U.S. pain clinics. Oh, <laughs> and uh, is Portnoy and, right that? Did yeah. Portnoy write that? And, and first of all, it, the bottom line is he's saying here. I wish I could find the exact quote. Uh, it's not is, being managed correctly. We're not treating pain aggressively enough. Aggressively enough. Perfect. It was stunning to see this in here. They do talk a little bit about buprenorphine as well, uh, but they basically saying that our problem is we're not using enough pain medication. Mm. Uh, and they're specifically saying opiates. Forget the fact that there's zero scientific evidence that opiates are an effective treatment for chronic pain. I was listening again to a California Society of Addiction Medicine uh, presentation where they admitted that and they put it up on a big slide. Scant evidence. No evidence. And yet pain but, management uses it but, all but the But unless time. we get rid of the patient satisfaction scales, well, you know, that, that's, in certain systems. that's the next step that has to go. The pain well, scale is th- gone. Now the patient satisfaction scales need to go. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, but let's, let's – you can talk to Carla about Suboxone. I, I know you get all come worked so, up about So it. I, I do. I go back and forth about Suboxone. So uh, my most recent evolution is – there's a reason why methadone clinics were, are a daily kind of reprieve from withdrawal, right? Well, why you have to go daily? Yeah, you have to go daily to get relief from your opioid addiction, or, right? Or ma- let's let's mm-hmm. maintain so your harm avoidance. Th- that therapy. system. I was in that system for about six years, and that system reminds you that you have a problem, that you're addicted to something, and that eventually you either are going to just give in to being on methadone the rest of your life or get off of methadone. You're constantly daily reminded of that. It's a good thing to be reminded of. The The current Medicaid march out that I've heard from Washington about prescribing Suboxone, you got to everybody to, all the time to, to 12 million Medicaid uh, opiate addicts. But trust me, it goes well beyond Medicaid. Yeah, but, but, but I'm just talking about the federal government. We do have say over that. They're going to just give a 30-day supply of opioid replacement medicine to little street-level drug addicts. <laughs> they're going to what, – what is in the and, New and, England Medical Journal, they're going to divert that medication, <laughs> trading it for heroin, selling it. 
We'll talk to the her. Tell her what you that that email, that text you sent me about the group you asked. Oh, I I, I asked a group of of about thirty addicts a, a couple of weeks young, ago. Young addicts. Young addicts, millennials, and I asked how many are opiate addicts. Twenty one were out of thirty. Wow. And then and then I asked how many people have been on Suboxone. Twenty of the twenty one raised their hand. Mm-hmm. I said, how many of you took it as prescribed and only one girl remained with her hand up? Right. And I would argue... If That's you, what's going on in real I, life. I would also argue if you asked who, who used other drugs concurrently... 100% of the Well, they're not. Even the, even the Suboxone pro- prosthetizers aren't asking that question. They Nobody even, wants to know that question. Well, that's insane. That's well, insane. I mean... You're mar- right. Marijuana is good for you, Drew. You didn't know that? Yeah. <laughs> Some people... <laughs> Not our so, patients. So, so I'm just I w- I would like to see at a federal level some talk about having the Suboxone dispensed in even a a weekly basis rather than a monthly basis because you're talking about you're talking about Never hundreds happened. of hundreds of millions of dollars and, every and month. And Carla, please, when you get in there in Washington, look into the cozy relationship between uh, NIDA and the federal government and the the manufacturer, a British company, of Suboxone. It's astonishing. There's a very uncomfortable story there. And, you know, and the other thing that I've noticed, like I was a big uh, supporter of the Parity Act, right? I think everybody who worked in in mental health was a big supporter of this thing. So the Parity Act moves forward. Then Obamacare is upheld at the Supreme Court. I'm like, this is finally Americans are going to get high-quality drug treatment. There'll be thousands of people changing their lives around. And I was very naive and (laughs) wrong because once that opened the floodgates of billions of dollars into the treatment industry, all these corrupt you know, people went in a gold rush after that money. So we need to be very careful the decisions we make on the on the federal level, on on the on the on the on the civil side I agree. of things. It, it, I agree. Let Carla talk now. Her yeah. What, I just turn. wondered what some of your ideas were. Well, number one, I think I would agree. I think they need to test it first within the seven seven days or even two weeks with yeah. a follow-up to see how they're working. Um, but it goes beyond just the medication, though. Oh, yeah. I think also the pharmaceutical companies, there has to be a way of all the scientists that we have to be able to come up with pain medication that are, that don't have the addictive side effects. Um, I think when we go for a procedure, we don't automatically have to have Percocet. Uh Oh, she froze up again. again. I think people are getting relief from life's everyday miseries. Uh, Well, I agree with that. That's why, that's why the opiate, medicines are so popular yeah. not only does it relieve your pain but it also relieves life's everyday misery well, it also it deadens emotional pain associated with childhood trauma and that's what carla opened up with and she's right about that well may i say yeah now yeah i had a veteran that i i asked it was a very very young guy very handsome and i said why why are you not working and why are you hooked on drugs and he said only if you knew what i did in the military it was in the army and I, he sa- I said, what did you do? And he said to me, his job was to collect the body parts and put them together. His friends all died, and he didn't believe he should be alive today. Yeah. So the only way he could cope is to get rid of the feelings of even 
being alive without actually harming himself. And so to get rid of the memories. So this is why I said it goes beyond just the drugs. You actually have to know the root cause. And I think the people who are making the decision makers are actually don't understand that there's a root cause. These are, these are just symptoms of what the real problem is. But just uh, being the token liberal here, no one should be having to pick up body parts well, in gonna, another part of the world. Well, somebody's going to do it. We go to war far too often. Okay, well, that's a different issue. No, that's <laughs> the issue. The real core issue is we're quick to go enter somewhere and take over a sovereign nation and say, we can do it better. We have... Hundreds of examples where we didn't do it better, whether it's Vietnam, Korea, uh, the Middle East now, and parts of, of, of Africa, where we haven't shown that we know better. Are you sure you're in the middle still? Right? I, I'm telling you that the, the, there's just too quick a thing to think America knows better. Yeah. That's the and, new modern conservatism. But which these is, days we have sort of threats, though, real threats. Well, finally, finally we have real threats. But go ahead, Carl. I'm sorry. No, so that was just a, one example. Yeah. And then you have others who have given up hope. You have some who cannot find work. And their way of dealing with, not everyone can deal with challenges as we do. So it is difficult. And you're right. They're crying out for help. And we are not really addressing the help that they really need. Hey, let me, let so, me propose a radical, so, you know, I, yeah. for two radical solutions from my perspective. One is there's a free system out there called mutual aid societies that are free available throughout the daylight hours and well into the night. It's available. There's a warm handoff available anytime, any day. And, you know, it look, needs revitalization. It needs revitalization, needs support. And the, these guys could go there. They need trauma treatment. Certainly, Carla would agree with that. But that's time-consuming and expensive, and people won't, don't want to do that. Guess what I think we ought to do? We ought to do hallucinogen research to see if we can break well, the, with the MDMA. The, or the, the VA, they yeah, should. Yeah, maybe we could really break the memories in some way, break that cycle in some weird way. But we can't do it because of this insane, arcane laws around bad molecules. What do you say, Carla? And, and what about alternative medicine? Yeah, sure. If we had the right research, well, but there are a lot of lot of a lot of veterans going down out into Central America and South America for ibogaine and these hallucinogenic experiences. That's how desperate they are, trying to find an alternative to numbing and deading themselves yep. with opioids, is to go down and try to get rid of these memories. Have you heard, have you known anybody that's gone down like Costa Rica or to try to take these hallucinogenic? mind wiping no, experiences I, I guess I haven't, no I haven't met anyone like that yet but I have met some doctors who have worked with patients that are um, addictive to drugs and were able to help get them off but they were considered to be holistic um, providers and I we don't have that right now presently as a part of the VA's option so in Congress I would definitely try to work on that to see because a lot of these medications, no matter which one you take, they actually have such bad side effects that you move from one and then you become addicted to the other one well, anyway. That's, that's the mistake. So, that's the mistake that the American medical system has made for two hundred years, which is we yeah. treat addiction with addictive agents. That's what we've always done. With alcohol, we used morphine. I love morphine, that solution. We, that was a good one. <laughs> we used morphine. We used amphetamines. With amphetamines, we used electric shock therapy. We we just did wrong things, wrong minded, 
And you know, and, and again, Carla's tilting at the the bigger issue, which is at the core. There's a spiritual, interpersonal, yeah. emotional regulation problem. And uh, you know, unless we can engage people and learn how to do that effectively, we're just going to be putting putting. What what is our goal here? Just to keep people alive? Just? I mean, I, that, maybe that's the wrong adjective. Um, I don't know. I, I well ever. I think that just the acting out in society's got to stop. We got to start being more compassionate. I mean, I I grew up in a in a time that everybody keeps comparing now to the to 68 or whatever. I I, what? I remember that. My this, yeah, you're comparing now to 68? Yeah, the division no. divisiveness no. and the end of the world and all that. Oh, no. you don't watch enough MSNBC. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 I lived through that, and it was in my family. My sisters, my older sisters were hippies. My dad was like an Archie Bunker type. That was nothing like the, the hatred and the lack of decorum and the lack of dignity in our culture now. And it was long before Trump. I noticed it long before the Trump phenomenon. Just, no, Trump just phenomenon simple, is, just, is just a symptom of the overall thing. But it was going on before that. Well, here's, here's, some, here's a good thought experiment for you. What? Uh, we will. I'm gonna. Do, we're gonna take a little break, but we're gonna do a thought experiment. Once you, as I take this break, think about this. What if Hillary had won? All that hate. All that, we'd have transgender bathrooms. No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't, but 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 the people that that were feeling left behind and so angry. What would have happened to them? What oh, would they have? We're done? gonna find out in about a year and or two months. What do you mean? We'll find out. All right, we'll be right back. <laughs> Hey, we are very excited to welcome our friends at Bergamot. That's a brand that made a significant impact on me. They make a variety of supplements. They use extract from the Bergamot citrus fruit. They act as a natural statin and can improve a number of cardiovascular parameters, uh, things like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, high blood sugar, insulin resistance, all the metabolic syndrome stuff. Now the makers also bring you Bergamot Sport that provides all the same benefits with additional additives designed to help athletes and those with an active lifestyle. Bergamot Sport may help improve stamina as well as reduce recovery time as well as muscle inflammation. I've used the product myself. I've recommended it to patients, and Susan uses it. My wife, Susan, you've been using the Bergafem for over a year. So what do you think about it? After I reached 45, things started changing. Changes in libido, energy, and metabolism. What? And no way. Then there are hot flashes that you know about, right, Jim? Yes. My doctor you prescribed too. bioidentical pellets every four months, and then I got hot flashes, felt fatigued at the end of my cycle. Bergafem fixed all of that for me. I took it for a year and ran out, and the hot flashes came back, and a little weight gain in my waist as well. So I'm taking one tablet a day to keep the libido strong, sleeping better, and I also notice a loss of abdominal fat, honey. Ooh, you're perfect. <laughs> Is that the right <laughs> response for husbands? So try Bergamet Sport for yourself. Visit bergamet.com for all the products that may be right for you. That's B-E-R-G-A-M-E-T, bergamet.com. Or click the Bergamet banner at drdrew.com. And for a limited time, our listeners save an additional 10% on their order by entering the code DRDREW. That's just Dr. Drew at checkout. All one word, D-R-D-R-E-W. To learn more about Bergafem, please visit bergamet.com today. I yep. love it. Yeah, you do. You've been using it right along, and it's worked. So, All right, we're back on. We are back. We're with Carla. Hey. Carla Spaulding. She's hey. a Navy veteran herself, registered nurse. We're talking to her about her run for Congress, and I'm totally into this woman get, getting into it. This is the person. These are the people we want in our Congress. Yeah. Come on now. Um, how's your campaign looking? Well, good so far, but uh, we are definitely in a Democratic district, and, of course, we have Debbie Washerman Schultz, who currently holds that seat. 
And it's about time we turn this seat red. It's about time we start taking control of this district. It's about time we start getting somebody to federal that will start standing up for the, what is right and what is needed for the community and for this country. How, how, do, we, how do people get involved if they wish? You have, I'm sure you have websites. Let us know. Yes, it's Spalding, S-P-A-L-D-I-N-G, congress.com. And I also have a Twitter, and the Twitter is at the at sign, Carla underscore Spalding. Underscore so it's Carla Paul. underscore Spalding. Okay. She has a Twitter. And, um, Twitter. Twitter. See, that's when your British comes out, the Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes it that yeah, much more appealing. Much much, but very much more of Twitter for, for the moment seemed appealing to me. <laughs> yeah. Spaldingforcongress.com. You got to visit that because we are going to make sure we have a nurse into Congress that can actually not just a nurse, a psych nurse, and a teacher that can actually give and help them understand the issues and what we're dealing with, not only as a patient, but what's happening behind the scene and our nurses, our CNAs, and all these things that happens behind the scene that needs to be corrected. And we have not. Uh-oh, he froze uh, again. It's coming back. It'll be back. I'm there, you're, back. You're back There now. you go. There you're you back. go. So so I want to tell you something exciting that I've been thinking about. So I I got asked to come up with some idea about about how to help at a grassroots level in Ohio and Pennsylvania, right? And I thought about it for 3 weeks and Drew and I were talking and I came upon this idea that the last time we had an opioid epidemic was in the late 60s and early 70s. And what sprung up were these grassroots almost, I don't know what you'd call them. I hate the word cult because it has such a negative connotation. But almost these these commune-like communities, one in New York State called Delancey Street, one here in Los Angeles called Synanon, right? Oh. And they were... Don't go to the end of Synanon and think about the beginning of Synanon. It was a good thing. Okay, so, so it was communal living. It was affordable. You know, right. I get I get scared that the federal government gets right. scared of mental health dealing with mental health because you're talking about eight hundred dollars a day hospitalization okay, okay. for three months. Slow your, slow your roll. I, I, I'm with these, you. I'm these community based two things. Two things. Organizations. I, I'm all for it. You know that. Even look look at the Oxford community. Still, we have Oxford groups, yeah. places. That these places do great. They know how they, to deal with drug addicts. They know how to deal with drug addicts, and drug addicts know that. But here's there's two things I would warn you of. When physicians have run these organizations, they didn't do enough about in terms of how to live and how to deal with the spiritual right. issue. And when... Right. And when non-professionals... It became have, a cult. <laughs> it, 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 un, it unravels. Yeah, it, it, it goes a little too far one way or another. So you need to get it... You need to have a, maybe a non-professional sort of, sort of figurehead and then get your consultants in there and active because you need the physician and nurse component. That's all I say. Yes, you do. Yeah, yeah. That's the only thing I'd say. But I'm all... I'm, it's a great idea. Synanon, I don't know if you're familiar, if you could ever Google it. It was the most interesting organization. They got praised by 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 Lyndon Johnson and then by Richard Nixon. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that's pretty hard to find praised by those two guys right in a row. It was the revolutionary approach to heroin addicts. Um, it was it was claimed for years Did you go years. to that at all? No, Harold was in it, though. Harold, Harold Owens was in How it. How did you avoid it? You didn't want to get sober. I, it, it didn't exist when I was okay. trying to get sober. Right. But anyways, it it was very gestalt. It was very confrontational therapy, yeah. right? 
Not which I, could take which I think you can't do in a yeah. in a hospital environment. Well, it was, but right. I'm telling you, it's it's an affordable. Fit. It should be encouraged. Well, All different avenues should uh, be encouraged. You're going back to my model, which is mutual aid, community based. Not I mean, you, you, yeah. I mean, it's just so much to be done there, and we need to get the federal government sort of championing it you know campaigning no but what the hospitals it. want is these drug addicts out of their emergency rooms no, what, so that's but, all they really want but, but what's happening is but you have to understand they don't know how to treat them right emergency that's, nurses do not right. have that's the right. knowledge base actually that's to right. be able to and the patients it actually hey, takes patients carla the, the, the doctors but, don't but know the, how to deal with it either that's problems, what i'm saying so the doctors want just a medicine to give them and that's it and that's who we're that's going it. off but, the rail but they have been doing that and then they come back and back and back and back i'm talking I talked to a hospital group in Tennessee and in West Virginia. They are going bankrupt dealing with this opioid overdose and epidemic, right? So they just want a place to send the people. There's no place to send them there. Well, and here in California, think about it. We have too many places, and they're corrupted. So how do we we solve that? And you're in Florida. I I want to say this, Dr. Drew. Yes, ma'am. I I wanted to bring across another point um, that I think we're missing. Sometimes when I've worked with patients before, that actually the, the, the medication that they're taking actually allows them to hallucinate. They hear voices. They're seeing things. And before, they were not. And so we also have to be very careful about the medications that are also being prescribed. And this is why I think it's not just a one solution fix. We have to have a combination of the pharmaceutical company, the doctor's understanding what they can prescribe, the community-based understanding if you see something, say something, but do something as well. Do something, With the shooter. Yes, we have to be able to do something. I want to talk to you about guns in a second, but but look here in California, in Southern California, we are overrun by homeless people. Someone showed up in our backyard today. Wow. We are literally overrun. Well, they cleared now. out the freeway, so they got to find places. Oh, for the uh, <laughs> for the run, for the run for the the marathon. But but it, it's and and so you talk about doing something. You, we have to have a will to. It's it is. We should be ashamed of ourselves that we don't we don't get behind bringing these people to care. Because hey, man, who are we to say? You know, that's the that's the attitude well, the new, in California. There's a new there's. You know, that's another complicated issue. Okay, well, let's, I'm, let's go to I'm guns. more interested let's, let's in this, of what the emergency rooms, if they had five different options, if if the doctors could assess that it's a drug-seeking, history of addiction person, they could send them to the new Synanon, yes, right? Yes. If it was a soccer mom that had health insurance, they could have good community-based drug treatment in the in Florida it, that you could trust. You'd have to sort through the Florida but, system because there's a lot Bob, that you that, can't. That is how physicians approach it now. They do. Just the but there's no place to send them in, in the where problem. the opiate epidemic That's is. Right. There's no place to send them. That's the problem. So, so I'm gonna, Not uh, only that, they can't keep them for a long time either. Right. And 30 days is not enough yeah, yeah, yeah. for... That's anyone right. to get off. It well, they get, they get them for three or four days, longer. Carla. Three or four days is the the, the craziest. Synanon was for a lifetime. Well, <laughs> but but let's go to the, that shooter in in southern in uh, the high school uh, in uh, what was the city. I'm sorry, Parkland. 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 Uh, yeah, the you know you started to bring him up as someone who now we know was in treatment, was being recommended for some sort of institutionalization, longer term care. And that is the zone that really is difficult right now, which is people who are not on a 72-hour hold, don't meet criteria for a 14-day hold, 
but everyone taking care of them knows that they're either going to be homeless, dead, or, or homicidal. But we, because they don't say it, they don't meet criteria, we can't do anything about it. I don't really, I, you know, I just see it as a gun issue. That well, kid should not have had access to guns, right, and whatever so guns he had should have been taken from him. And that happens in California, in Washington, okay. in Oregon. But to be fair, when he was in care, the mom before she died, even if he's sure in, he's care, in care, I don't want a kid like that having access to AR-15s, but and the, I don't care what anybody. But says. the evidence is that he, when he was in care, he was glued together and everything was fine. Good and for I, him. I understand your point, but Carla, go ahead. Let's hear your position. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, this is what I'm going to say to you. I think this is where we have uh, we're putting politics before people. Yes. I, I really believe that if you're going to look at safety, like say, I'm from Jamaica. We never had uh, any of that problems, and we really have some guys that really have some weapons out there. Now, my my, my problem is, or my question is, or solution, or part of it is, you have to look at the school safety completely different from a gun issue. And and the reason for this, hear me out, is the fact that if you have a business, you're going to make sure that business is secured. Whether you have security guards, you have different password codes to protect your computer, you're going to have just certain things in place to make sure that is secure. It's the same thing for the schools. I think schools ought to have a secure process and a structure so that they know that not only the children are safe, but also the teachers. So what that means, they should have a safe room, a room that probably has is bulletproof. We should also have maybe possibly um, metal detectors that that wouldn't have gotten through to begin with. And one entrance, you don't need several entrances to school. You have one, you go in, and when you're coming out, that's it. We should have security guards there, not just one, but someone watching the monitor. And that can correlate to the, uh, to the officers, hey, something is going over there, get there in time. You know, so, and teachers, as they recommended, my sister was, a, uh, was in, the, is in the army, she's a school teacher now, Um, But I'm saying we have volunteer veterans who are trained who would like to volunteer. So there are many things that you can actually do. I'm not just saying to to help secure a school. FIU just had a recent uh, structure. The bridge just fell. That's a security. That to me, that's a safety issue again. So we need to look at what is the best way and best practice and best things that we can do to actually secure a school I mean, and point, not blaming people yeah, about the I, I like the point. I like the, the, I like the framing of this as if you had a jewelry store and mm-hmm. what's more precious than your children, if you had a jewelry yeah. store, think of all the security you'd have on that jewelry the store. All, the schools yeah. already seem like prisons and now it just sounds like you're trying to make the school a prison. They already, well, it's an we air, live, make it an airport, Bob, but, just but, an airport. But, Aren't you used but, to that? Right. I, I, I just don't see why it's mentally ill people. I don't care if there's 10 million of us. I'm one of them. I'm marked as mentally ill. I shouldn't have, if, 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 if for the betterment of the society, I don't get to have an AR-15, that's fine with me. Well, that, that is another. When you're mar- earmarked with this much mental illness as this kid was for a decade, he should not have access to AR-15s. You can have, ma'am, you can have 500 of them. <laughs> we, I don't, we, you we know what I mean? 
Carla to be armed. No, we don't but want to But when yeah. mentally yeah. ill people, it's just it, it just seems like the most logical thing. I'm 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 a don't care about guns guy. I don't think guns are that big of an issue in America. I think mental health is, and and yeah. I don't care if you stigmatize me as a mentally ill person and you don't allow me to buy guns. That's fine. I am mentally ill and I don't have guns. And, and it is your it's your your wait, it's your it's your commitment to this society. Who is advocating for the mentally ill to have AR-15s. Okay. That's what I okay. want to know. Let's let Carly answer. <laughs> let, let Carly answer. Hold on. Carly, yeah. go ahead. Let me answer that. Yeah. And, I, and I think now we're coming to the second part. Yeah. Now when it comes to guns, that's a whole different issue. Yeah. Yes, if you have a mental health illness, somehow, somewhere along the system, that should be triggered into the system where you're not able to purchase the guns. And that's where the missing element is. They somehow have not connected that. And remember, this child also showed many warning signs. Yeah. The police officers, they went there 23 times. Wow. So that should have been picked up. Now that was missed. So it's a combination of things. Again, it goes right back to the family and the structure of the community. Yep. Because people knew that he had those guns. Somebody should have said, you're not allowed to have that gun. I'm, I'm going to make sure they take it away from you. Hey, Carla, so we have to get involved. Let me yes. let me let me propose a, a way to operationalize that. I talked to an attorney friend of mine. He said it'd be a good idea because you're going to come up against you know the, all the ACLU stuff about personal rights and everything. I think in order to have guns taken away for whatever period of time is required, and that should be something that needs to be assessed for given you know if you had an acute depressive episode where you were suicidal, that's different than this kid, for instance. Both mental illness, but different. Um, Wow. That that we have a what? Jeez, I didn't know so many mentally ill people were in the United States. <laughs> so, it's forty two million people. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you just looked it up. But look. Everyone would would wanna say that they're mentally ill yeah. because yeah. it comes with such a price once they know that you, you are that categorized, they're now very accepted into society. Right. And that's the awareness that we have to bring about, not because someone has a mental illness doesn't mean that they should be treated completely differently. Can I talk about a human my, thing for a second? My, let me finish okay. my proposal first, which is that we create a magistrate, a separate system that doctors can appeal to and mental health workers can appeal to. Maybe you need two of them or three of them to say this person, that, that, dis, that distance from the 72-hour hold to some sort of chronic requirement of medical follow-up, that you can have a magistrate that not only takes guns away but also mandates follow-up in some fashion. So if your patient doesn't show up, you can call law for us and say, hey, bring him in. I haven't seen him. Okay. In a week. So, but, but we have nothing like that. So we need like a magistrate. No. We need a magistrate we can appeal to. That that would give us the I be able to, so that homeless guy that that's waving in the street and shooting heroin we can bring him in and do something for him and help him as opposed to going hey man it's his right to do whatever no 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 same with this kid we're gonna get his guns help him so he doesn't kill somebody kill himself right. we need the power to do that and we it's going to require some and sort that, of system and that's why I wanted to, I wanted to share with you so I've had depression diagnosed in me since I was 11 years old. I have depression. I always have lived with it. I I medicated because of it probably. That only compounded it and made it worse. I purposely, at 19 or 20 or 21, when my friends were getting into guns, said, if I had a gun in my home, Good. I would kill myself. Good for you. At some point or another, one night, 
one crazy thought and, and the, the compulsion to kill myself rather than reach out to a friend or even medicate myself with some heroin and crack, that if that was there in a drawer, I would have killed myself. And I, I'm very outspoken about this. And when I'm this outspoken about it, other people who have made that same mature decision knowing themselves to thine own self be true – that, we're not stigmatizing ourselves by saying no. we have mental health issues. No, no, no. It's like to me, it's like saying I have diabetes. Oh, absolutely! People are so proud of saying they have diabetes. Yeah. Why shouldn't you God. be equally? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's you. I know many people who have mental illness, and they will not take their medication because they said they're fine. And <laughs> well, the moment that's... they stop taking their medication, that's when they all everything goes down drain, yeah. and they do not admit that they have that problem. So that's where we How do we help them not feel so ashamed? That's been my agenda for 30 years, 25 years. Part of mental illness, you've got to realize that, you know, even when you do a mental status exam, one of the boxes you enter is insight because there are many thought disorders and certain uh, affective illnesses. You lose insight. And when you lose insight, you don't know yourself. So depression is the best of the mental illnesses to have. Anxiety. (laughs) Anxiety. That will let you know you have it. (laughs) Anxiety and panic. So that's the one that you, you but retain I, your insight. I really think we need you worry a, about it. a better <laughs> outreach to young people in particular. I see it with young people. Young people are reporting to me that they were diagnosed with anxiety at 13 that are now in drug treatment at 24, 25. They seem to be more accepting of having an anxiety well, diagnosis. I, I agree. Yeah. So it's getting better. Well, I, I would argue, listen, I had panic and anxiety when I was in college, and I, I never spoke about it till about maybe 20 years later and and that was because there was acceptance understanding not so much stigma it's better i i I think it's a lot better and and i think we need to be careful (laughs) we need to be careful in our enterprise in our in our uh, campaign to end stigma that we don't stigmatize (laughs) because you know we're creating special language and as soon as you create special nomenclature you're you're adding to stigma you got to be very matter of fact. But how yeah. come we as a society can say if you've ever been arrested and convicted of a felony crime, yeah. which could be as little as like not returning a rental car, which I had. What? <laughs> so, Bob, so, no way. so we have no problem saying nope. those people don't get to have guns, right? And there's, uh, there's obviously a stigma to being a convicted felon. But mm-hmm. but why are we so apprehensive to say the, the, those people with long histories of mental illness and hospitalization for mental illness, they shouldn't have guns? Why, why can we say the convicted felons can't have guns, but the mentally ill, the repeated hospitalizations hey, I just heard Carla, can have guns? Carla agreed with you. She I know, but oh, this we society. just said that. Yeah, no, no, I know. just said it. They are. They, yes, they, they're absolutely in agreement with that. But outside of that, what we're saying is that our Second Amendment right must remain. Yes. If you start moving it from 21, what does that mean? Does that mean you are not able to join the military until you're 21 now? Yeah. Or what does that mean? Does it mean you can change it in another state to 25 or 30? And then eventually everything changes. Well, so we have thought, to be very careful. I've, I've always thought... You know, I liked it better in the 70s where each state made decisions about alcohol and firearms. Um, It became this federally mandated ages for different things, right? 
in the I, I don't 80s. know the history of that. I, I don't know the history. I, I know. Be, well, I used to. I used to be in Austin, Texas, and we drive to to Louisiana <laughs> to go get drunk because it was only eighteen to be drunk in Louisiana. We, no, you still have state by state stuff for alcohol. But why? Why? Yeah. Why is the guns now well, are going to be state by state? It's twenty one now in Florida, but, but it's eight. It's fifteen in Arkansas. I, I think that. All right. Let's, know, let's do this. We're we, you you the three of us could talk all day, and that's because we like Carla. We know she knows what she's talking about, and let's get behind Carla for for Congress. All right. Yeah, yeah. yeah all right. So, Carla, again, uh, where what do you need people to do to support you? Well, we need definitely money because we're going against the money machine, Debbie Washerman Schultz. She can run. Right. Why? How can she run? That's ridiculous. <laughs> Well, I guess that's her right. Support Carla, <laughs> Carla Spalding. Let's let's get some let's get some new blood in there. Carla Spalding for Congress. Yeah, we definitely need um, wants to help us in. If you're in the district, please come out and help us door knocking, giving out cards, um, host events for us, get the message, give us your input because I am really open to. Let me, just, let me be I, your I attack dog. Do the right thing. Let me be your attack dog for a second. I had no idea Wasserman was going to run again. This is disgusting. <laughs> How can no one has any decorum anymore? That woman should disappear. <laughs> in, 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 you know it's what? Just, it's so funny. It's crazy to me. Wait, let's hear Carla. They are still kinder, and yeah. I asked myself that question many times. Believe it or not. The Jewish community still votes for her. Oh. And she has voted against everything under the sun that goes for Israel and for the Jewish community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so a lot of the Democrats are brainwashed, hmm. and we have to somehow reach out to them so that we they know that we exist. And this is why I'm here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's Dr. been a Carla, pleasure. Really Thanks a pleasure. It, yeah. Jeez, it, it, Louise. Yeah. I can't believe <laughs> it's it. a pleasure. Is Hillary going to run again L- in 2020? Let, let me get some business out of the way here. We want to thank our friends at Hydrolite. You know how I love that hydration, uh, the, the tabs, and our friends at Bergamot and Bergamot Sportum. I keep learning about them. The, the, they're doing good studies that show that the, those Bergamot products work. Check me out on KBC 790 Midday Live Talk Radio, Monday through Friday. Uh, we also are syndicated live in the barrier at KGO. Lauren Savant is my partner now. Mike is not doing it anymore. Lauren Savant is the woman that was the object of Mr. Weinstein's affection with the potted plant. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, she's a very bright woman, a good journalist. Downstairs, I've been to that restaurant. 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. <laughs> Pacific Standard Talk <laughs> Radio. A.M. Uh, also tune in uh, every day live on the internet at kbc.com. If you missed it, we made it simple. You're free to find all our shows and podcasts at doctor.com. Next to all the podcasts we offer here with the Playroom Pods, the other pods. Mike Catherwood is now at K-Rock, and he's also co-hosting a health and fitness podcast called Swole Patrol. You can find that there and subscribe. Tell a friend. Bob, any plugs? Oh, I just found this thing called Bob Forrest Music YouTube channel that Nate must It's so cool. It's been up years. I just saw it for the first time this morning. Find us all on, on Twitter, uh, at Carla underscore Spaulding is where you can find Carla. Uh, yes, at, sir. Did I get that right? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes. You get me at Dr. Drew, at Firstly of Love, Susan, at Rehab Bob Forrest for Bob. At This Life Podcast, join the email list at Dr.com. I have a massive uh, series coming out on the opioid epidemic. We took it all the way back to the end of all. So it's, we, we're, belie- we're about eight parts in, but we believe me, we have about eight more to go, maybe more. Uh, and we, if you want to know how we got here, we chronicle it in detail exactly all the big mistakes 
we've made since since the 1850s. Did you are you seeing methadone as a mistake? Because I don't see it as a mistake. I did, no, not necessarily. Yeah, I think it's I, a I good think the, solution. I think the excessive use of any modality is a mistake, and yes. the and and that and methadone. If you're a unmotivated, polydiagnosed with no family, no particular aspirations, and you're homeless and whatever. Methadone's a great, great idea. Maybe, maybe if you really don't ever want to get sober because it's so hard to get off of. <laughs> anyway, saying wrap it up, wrap oh, yeah. it up. <laughs> Weekly uh, the, uh, also links to all our podcasts you have to offer. Carla, it's been a privilege and Thank a pleasure. You. Good luck. We want Thank to, you. Go, go Thank you so much. Shake and remember, carlosfallingforcongress.com. There it is. There Thanks. You go. Cool, cool. See you next time. Well, we're so pleased to have Hydrolyte back. Hydrolyte is something that we and my family use just about every day, and it is simply the best oral rehydration product I have ever seen. And there are many reasons you should keep some around. I got the flu. I relied on Hydrolyte because I knew it would rehydrate me the way an IV fluid would. We all have heard about the flus and the diarrheas, and they all knock you out. Staying well hydrated is critical to getting over these conditions. Even if you manage to avoid getting infected, your schedule is half as busy as mine. Getting eight glasses of water a day isn't likely to happen. And you don't need it if you've got the proper hydration product, Hydrolyte. That is the beauty. Whether you're sick or not, you can absolutely benefit from proper balance of sodium, glucose, and water. Hydrolyte does this better than a sports drink or water alone. That's right, better. And it comes in great flavors like orange, berry, lemonade. It's available in a pre-mixed powder. Of my personal preference, the little effervescent tablets you can simply drop in a bottle of water or a glass of water. And you're done. You got it. And you are rehydrated. And compared to sports drinks, Hydrolyte delivers up to four times the electrolytes with 75% less sugar. I know. Don't buy into the hype of the brands. Use Hydrolyte. It's a better product. I'm telling you, I had intended to invent it. They got there first. So I'm all behind them. Hydrolyte solutions are appropriate for all ages, and each bottle or package includes easy-to-follow dosing instructions. Order Hydrolyte today, hydrolyte.com slash drdrew. That is hydrolyte.com slash drdrew. And for a limited time, our listeners can save 30% on Hydrolyte. We actually buy in bulk in our family, so we're going to click through. Believe me, just click the banner on my site and use the code drdrew18. That is drdrew18. Remember, you can find all these podcasts at drdrew.com. The Dr. Drew podcast, the This Life podcast, and the Adam and Drew podcast, which is available five days a week. Find them all on iTunes and rate us five stars. Subscribe and get it first. And if you're really happy, click on the Amazon banner at drdrew.com to help support the show. We'll thank you for it. If you join the email list via drdrew.com slash contact, we'll send you a weekly infusion newsletter with Dr. Drew's news. We're so grateful when you get in touch. We read all your emails and we'll bring you the subject matter you want to hear about. You live.